0: Good morning. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Brandon Root. Uh, I'm one of the youth leaders here at Kernsville Alliance. Uh, my wife, Deanna, and Milton—they help out with that, and they're a, a huge blessing in, in helping that. Uh, so uh, when Steve asked me to preach uh, at family camp there, after the initial shock uh, wore off, I was kind of like, "Okay, what am I? What am I going to talk about? What does God want me to say?" So um, after you know a week or two of panicking, like, "God, what do you want me to say? What do you want me to say?" like I'm waiting. I have all this time. I'm normally a procrastinator. I know pressure makes diamonds, but I would like to not procrastinate this to the last minute. Uh, he was kind of working through me, and like any recent seminary grad, I went back and looked at some of the, the sermons I had wrote for school. Uh, and this one just, it kept sticking out to me. And to give a little background for it, um, as I've said a few times, I was in the Navy uh, for a little over 13 years, and now I'm a chaplain in the Army Reserve. Uh, and it's, it's really awesome to see how God has used all that Uh, and how he's going to use that for today here. So I'm going to start with some pictures. Uh, Like I said, uh, I was in the Navy. I was on submarines. Submarines are great things with no windows. Uh, You'll see that boat there is the USS Georgia. That was the last ship I was on. Uh, It was awesome. God moved in that boat in a powerful way, and it really impacted me immensely. That picture to the right is a younger, uh, more hair-filled version of me from about 10 or 12 years ago in the battery well of the submarine. Uh, So submarines are run off of nuclear reactors, and whenever that doesn't work for whatever reason, uh, there's a backup diesel generator, and then when that naturally dies, you have a battery to get you through whatever you, you need to get through at that moment. Uh, above that is what's called the submarine warfare pin. We're going to talk about that a little bit today, too. Uh, once you qualify submarines, you get to wear that above your left breast pocket. So a few more pictures. Uh, the one on the right is me uh, with my beard away on a submarine. We don't shave at sea because we don't want to waste the water, and we also just don't like shaving. So... What you see there is me sitting in what's called the, the bridge. So if you look at a submarine, you've got that, like, tall part in the front. That's what that is. That is probably the coolest thing you'll ever do in a submarine. If you've ever been out to uh, Parker Dam when there's no moon and you just see all the stars and everything, imagine that, but in the middle of the ocean with way more stars. And then around the front of the boat, how you can see it breaking there, you have all that, like, bioluminescent, like, algae and stuff just breaking around the front. It's so amazing and just awesome. It's one of the coolest things and probably the coolest thing you'll ever do on a submarine. Uh, That's another picture of the top. And then those little pictures there, that's where I lived. That's your only private space on a submarine. This one had about 220 people on it with two washers and dryers. And then your only personal space was this little coffin of a rack. So we were underway for Christmas. That's why we've got Christmas lights. That top picture is the the blown out version of the bunk room uh, where nine people would sleep. Uh, On some boats, you would have to share beds with people. So two beds to three people, and you'd rotate through. That's called hot racking. It's a really awesome thing. I highly recommend you try it sometime. <laughs> There's nothing more enjoyable than going to a bed that you know the guy who was just in it hasn't showered in like two days. So it's, it really encourages you and builds you up. So the question we have to ask then is, what does this have to do with anything? What does anything about a submarine mean here? So for the better part of my adult life, I have sailed the world. In some of the harshest and most dangerous conditions imaginable. During my time in the Navy, I served aboard several different submarines where I had the opportunity to experience some wild and crazy things. I've traversed the Panama Canal. I've crossed the equator. I've jumped from the side of the submarine and watched the ocean go away from you as you're jumping towards it as the boat comes back up because that's how the ocean works. And I've experienced hurricanes from the inside and I've felt the full force and fury of the ocean as it raged both above and below us. And while submarines are designed to operate below the ocean waves, you're not truly safe until you get back to port and you step off that boat. In fact, some of the people I served with considered submarines to be like a prison because of the immense amount of isolation and danger associated with the job. And while I had some amazing experiences during my time at sea, as you can imagine, I've also had some of my worst. I'll never forget being over half a world away on a boat I was never supposed to be on, when I got an email that never should have come through. You see, submarines, they don't have all this communication stuff like the rest of the services do. There's no phone calls. There's no FaceTime, no Zoom. It's just email. I remember one time on my first boat we deployed, we uh, got the news, and it was like Britney Spears shaved her head and North Korea might be launching nuclear missiles. And then we didn't get anything for months, because that's, that's how it works. So you were completely isolated. So because of that isolated environment, any email that could invoke a negative response is screened, so that way you don't get any bad news. Anything that could jeopardize the mission, they want to kind of keep on the back burner until it's okay to let you know what happened. So for me, that happened. I got one of those emails that you should never get. It was an email that said, someone you love is in the hospital for an incredibly stupid and avoidable reason. And then to add insult to injury, not only is that person in the hospital but someone else is in jail because of that person being in the hospital. So as you can imagine, that was a bad day. In that moment, when something slips through that shouldn't, you can't call home. You can't reach out to those who are hurting and comfort them, and you really can't even get comfort for yourself. Simply put, in a submarine at sea, hundreds of feet below the surface, you're alone. And if you're not a Christian, you really have no hope in this hopeless situation. And when we find ourselves in these hopeless situations... The question that's always asked is, how will you respond? In my life, I tend to turn to people I can trust. People who share a common belief in the person and works of Christ. I found that in my moments of despair, someone who has a foundation built on faith, they tend to be the best people to surround myself with. Because they remind me of what Christ has done, and who I am in him. To those who are not followers of Christ, this is an incredibly terrifying question. And if we're being completely honest with ourselves, this can be terrifying to us too. And as much as we want to be ready for chaos, we never really are. No one looks forward to struggle and conflict. It's not fun, there's no joy in it. And while books and movies point to these trials as opportunities for greatness, few people actually see it that way. Instead, we see failure, we see fear. You see, Paul was no stranger to conflict and struggle. Paul was beaten, he was stoned, he was run out of cities, all because he proclaimed the gospel. He was shipwrecked, bitten by a poisonous snake that should have killed him, and imprisoned time and time again. But each and every time, Paul pointed to the cross rather than the conflict. Paul pointed to Christ, vice the chaos. And while he was imprisoned in Rome towards the end of his ministry, he took time to encourage others in his own hopeless situation. Where others saw fear and failure, Paul saw opportunity. So if you would, uh, there's no Bible app event for this week uh, because I don't know how to do that. But (laughs) we're going to be in uh, Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. And we're going to take some time today to look at what Paul had to say about his own hopeless situation. And we're going to look at that and see how we can find some hope for ourselves and some peace in these conflicts here. So I'll go ahead and read. Uh, Paul says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. how he's handling his conflict. Imprisoned and in chains, Paul is finding a way to point others to Christ. And he's not just pointing them to Christ. He's leading them into a relationship with him. He's taking a death sentence, and he's turning it into life. Paul, rather than wallow in self-pity and shame, he's rejoicing for the opportunity to reach a group of people he would otherwise be unable to meet. Paul is bringing hope to a hopeless situation. And just as Paul found the opportunity to share the gospel in his trial, we too need to be on the lookout for how God can use our own hopeless situation. You see, trials are an opportunity for the advancement of the gospel. They can encourage others to live out their faith boldly as we proclaim it as we're going through the stuff. In turn, they can stir those same people to proclaim the gospel too. They see how you're doing it. They see how you respond and like, I can do that too because there's hope in Christ. And when these trials are viewed through the lens of scripture, they're an opportunity for us to rejoice because Christ has been made known to the lost. So this morning we're going to look at a few points uh, through this passage to kind of emphasize that and take that with us today. So the first point being to use your trial as an opportunity to advance the gospel. So Paul, having been imprisoned by the Romans, is writing to encourage the church at Philippi. And even in this moment where Paul is imprisoned and is more than likely aware that he's going to be put to death at the conclusion of this sentence, he still wants to encourage the churches that he was involved in. Looking back at verses 13 and 14, it says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. His hopeless situation is moving the gospel forward. And as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in in chains for Christ. In this hopeless situation, Paul finds that he is not the only hopeless person where he is at. Paul knows that these chains and shackles are only temporary. You see, Paul knows that there's freedom in Christ, and while he may be considered less than free right now, he knows that at the end of his life, there is freedom with Christ in glory. As he alludes to later in this chapter in verse 21, he says, for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's his eternal perspective on what's going on there. You know, it makes sense that some people would compare uh, submarines to prisons. Uh, In fact, they have a a lot of similarities, actually. Uh, If you look up the definition of the MRSA virus, You'll find that it's prevalent in third-world countries, uh, prisons, and the military. And we were fortunate enough on my first boat to have such an outbreak. It's a flesh-eating bacteria. It's a really good time. Uh, And as you can imagine, in a submarine, that sickness spreads like wildfire. You're in a confined space that's only about 300 to 500 feet long, and you're sharing beds with people. So it, it goes quickly. So you can argue that Paul and I lived a similar lifestyle at times with prisons and submarines sharing such similarities. And in fact, you may even feel the same way. The point is that while it doesn't compare to the conditions of most prisons or even that of Paul's, some people find submarines to be hopeless places simply because of the harsh conditions that you're in. People are ruthless because they're gone from home. Husbands are without wives. Fathers are missing some of the best years of their kids' lives, willingly. And that's hard And hard situations can produce hard people. Difficult times can produce difficult people. However, as Paul shows us here, Christ can soften the hearts of even the most hardened and difficult people and lead them to freedom through that faith. So when we find ourselves in these hard and difficult times, we really only have two options as a follower of Christ. We can be angry, and we can wallow in self-pity, or we can seek to serve and point to God through our trials. We can live out the gospel in all that we do. Which brings me to my next point, where we need to use our trials to encourage others to live out that same faith. All right, we're to encourage others to live out their faith boldly and proclaim the gospel. Verse 14 says, And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. As Paul is preaching and reaching the lost in prison, he's a source of inspiration for others. Here you have Paul who is in jail for preaching the gospel. And what is he doing? He's preaching the gospel. He's not only preaching the gospel, but he's preaching the gospel in the prison that he's in for preaching the gospel. Again, Paul's reminding us that our main concern in life should not be seeking the approval of man, but seeking the approval of God and living out our faith in all that we do, regardless of the consequences. Paul is in this hopeless situation and he's been bound up for the gospel. He's in the worst place he can be, physically, emotionally, mentally. He finds himself as an outcast and someone who others would openly mock and judge because here's this man of God, this great preacher, this great follower of Christ. And where is he? He's in prison. Again, he's lived a life of physical and emotional misery. His life is far from glamorous. He's an outcast who's hated because of his stance on the sinful state of humanity. So much so that he's in prison for talking about it and the need for repentance from it. So what does he do? He sees it as an opportunity to tell others about Jesus. We often can't or simply don't want to find joy in the struggle. One of the things they hammer home uh, on submarines and in the military in general is that everything you do is an opportunity to learn and to train and influence your replacement. You see, there's this uh, mentality in the military that you train your relief, and that by the time you've Left the boat or your unit for good, that you should have imparted all of your knowledge and wisdom on those who come after you. But one of the most important lessons that you can give to those who are there with you is how you respond to adversity. If you can teach those around you how to best deal with the stress, then you've succeeded. The rest of the stuff on a submarine they can read in a book, they can get it off of a PowerPoint. But what they can't learn from a tech manual is how to deal with the stress that comes with a heavy operational ch- schedule and the challenges you'll face throughout your time on board. They learn that from you. They learn how to respond based on how you respond. And the moments that challenge us the most teach not only us, but also those around us. It will teach us what we can handle, and it will show others how to handle it, either through our positive or our negative example. And Paul not only knows this, but he also understands it. You see, Paul was a giant of the faith in his own time, He isn't just this guy we read about now as one of the founding fathers of our faith. He was a big deal back then, too, and he knew it. He knew that because of the role that he had in ministry, that people were watching him. They were watching to see if he would succeed or if he would fail and how he would respond to adversity. His response to being imprisoned for the sharing of the gospel should remind us that there is nothing that should stop us from proclaiming the good news. Let me say that again. There is nothing, no matter what it is, that should stop us from proclaiming the good news. It's the hope that we have. And if we find ourselves encouraging others to live out their faith as we have through our trials, then they'll be inspired to do the same. Right? We need to live out our faith in such a manner that it moves others to proclaim the gospel. Paul finds that his boldness has also inspired those who would seek to use the gospel to their own advantage. It says in verses 15 through 17, it's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill the latter do so out of love knowing that i am put here for the defense of the gospel the former preach christ out of selfish ambition not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble me trouble for me while i am in chains so now i know that none of us here has ever heard of or met someone that would do that who would use someone else's misfortune for their own advantage like that that never happens right but let's just let's imagine here for a minute that we do All right here you have people preaching the gospel for their own selfish ambition. And while their intentions may be less than perfect, Paul points out that they are still telling others about Christ. Even if they're only doing so to gain attention and prominence in Christian circles, the gospel is still being proclaimed. And for Paul, that's okay. Right? Sharing the gospel is the most important thing in this world. And if we don't tell someone about Jesus, what happens to them? They die, and they go to hell. Right, I, know, I know that's harsh, and we don't like to say that all the time, but at the end of the day, if someone hasn't accepted Christ, they're damned to an eternity apart from God. And Paul knows that he physically can't be everywhere. So if word of his imprisonment inspires others to share the gospel, even with less than perfect intentions, that's okay. right? Submarining, it's a team sport. And much like anything else, it takes an entire group of people to ensure the success of the organization. And each person on board the ship plays a particular role. If you don't serve a purpose, you don't go to sea. It's as simple as that. Right? Aircraft carriers, destroyers, other surface ships, they have room for some fluff when it comes to people. You know, They have doctors, uh, emergency surgeons, chaplains, marines, and all kinds of other useless People, right? (laughs) But on a submarine, there's no doctor. right? We have a corpsman. Uh, He's supposed to have done time in a combat unit. He might have done some stuff, but you don't really know. There's no surgeons. There's no chaplain. It's just people who can and do operate the ship. Everyone has a job, and no other person can take your place. However, we can train you, and we can allow you to do aspects of our job, That way we can still ensure that the mission gets accomplished. And that's what Paul is doing here. He knows he can't be everywhere at once. And he knows that God has called him to this particular place for this particular mission. And others that are hearing about him and his ministry in prison that are then going to start their own follow-on ministry and replicating his is no different than one of us watching a YouTube video on inner-city missions or hearing a missionary speak at Mahaffey Camp and then trying to reach the lost here similar to how they're doing it there. The mission, the goal, it's still the same. So even as we're struggling, and as we're fighting through these difficult situations, we still have an opportunity to praise God throughout it all. All We can rejoice because Christ has been made known to the lost through our trials. Verse 18 says, But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I will rejoice... Paul wants to ensure that his audience understands what is important here. Christ is the most important thing in a Christian's life. Telling others about Christ is a direct result of believing that Christ is the most important thing in your life. As such, we should celebrate when someone comes to know Christ, whether we had a direct hand in it or not. Someone coming to know Christ is something worth celebrating. Jesus himself said that I tell you, that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Right? As the church, we should celebrate that as well. Uh, as some of you may know, the, the military and the Navy uh, is very well known for celebrating things. Uh, we celebrate reenlistments, we celebrate uh, halfway nights, you know that's marking the midway point of a deployment. We celebrate crossing the equator and other nautical achievements. We celebrate everything. But one of the greatest celebrations we have is when someone earns their submarine warfare pin. It's not like a normal celebration. There's no party. Not it's pretty tame, honestly. You see, when a guy shows up to the boat, he's useless. We have a term for it, it's like new underway buddy, but it's new useless body. You know, they, they serve no purpose, right? Forks have more purpose than a new guy on a submarine. But when he's accomplished this giant task of qualifying, it's worth celebrating. See, now he knows everything about the submarine, and he can truly be trusted with the greatest responsibility we have, and that is the lives of our shipmates. And what is his reward? What does he get for this monumental task? Respect. We march the entire crew up out of the boat and onto the pier for the presentation of his submarine warfare insignia. He's brought before everyone at a reading from the book Thunder Below, written by the famous World War II submarine captain, Admiral Eugene Flucky. Is read as he is welcomed into the elite brotherhood and sisterhood of the submarine force. And for some, this is the pinnacle of their time on board. And it's something worth celebrating. And while we celebrate this achievement, the hard work of the individual, heaven celebrates even more when someone who has done absolutely nothing to earn their salvation enters into the family of God. There is nothing we can do to earn our salvation, nothing. But when we embrace it and accept the free gift that it is, it is something worth celebrating. Right, and Paul is reminding us that the whole purpose of a gospel ministry is to lead others to Christ. If we aren't excited about someone coming into a right relationship with God, then we're all jacked up. Regardless of how that person came to Christ, their coming to Christ is the victory. And for that, we should rejoice. So as we look at the example set by Paul, we have to remember that all of this came from a difficult situation. All of this celebration was a result of a conflict for the gospel. But conquest over conflict is worth rejoicing. The submarine force, it's an all-volunteer service. Much like the military, they really can't force you to be on submarines. You have to choose to be there. If you don't sign the I want to be on submarines paper, you're not. Like it's literally a paper that says I want to be on submarines. Check. And then they send you. But once you sign that paper, you're all in. There's no turning back. You've committed yourself to one of the hardest and most challenging jobs you will ever embark upon. You'll spend countless hours awake doing unimaginable things just to make sure the boat goes to sea. You'll be woken up at all hours of the night to run drills, to test your abilities, to respond to casualties. You'll spend months, if not years, away from everything that you hold dear. You'll miss birthdays, anniversaries, Christmases, and even the birth of a child or the death of a family member. And for what? What could possibly be more important than those things? You see, to a landsman, none of this makes sense. Why would someone willingly put themselves in harm's way 24-7, 365? Why would someone sacrifice years of their life just to do a thankless job? But don't you think those who are unaware of who Christ was and is and what he has done thought the same thing about Paul? Why is this man, who is a prominent figure, in Jewish culture, sacrificing so much of himself for this Messiah. Conversely, the Jews are questioning why this man would give up his position to follow the way. But we know that Paul's imprisonment, it served a purpose. His struggle, his conflict, it gives us the example of how we can respond to our own trials. Paul's willingness to suffer for the gospel gives us an example for how we can live out our faith in a real and constructive way. Right, the central message of Christ to the church is to go and make disciples. Matthew 28, 18-20 says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You see, Paul is in prison awaiting trial for doing this very thing. And what is he doing? He's preaching to the lost and writing letters that are equipping the church, both in the present time and the future, all for the purpose of making disciples. He's taking this hopeless situation, and he's turning it into an opportunity to share the greatest hope the world has ever known. right, Opportunities to share the gospel, they are everywhere. We just have to be willing to do it. We have to submit to him, the one who's charged us to reach the lost. And if we're suffering, and look, I know this is hard, but if we're suffering and we aren't looking for a way to glorify God in it, even while we're asking him to take it away, we are missing the point. And that is what Paul is telling the Philippians here. While we're seeking God in our suffering, we should be seeking to share God with those who are also suffering with us. In doing so, we're ensuring that those who've experienced the pains and struggles of this life, they'll know that there's a hope for those who call Christ Lord. So as you encounter your your trials, your hopeless situations, do so with the mindset and the goal of sharing the gospel throughout it. That's what it's all about. At the end of the day, we're to point to Christ in everything we do, the good, the bad, all of it. So as the worship team comes forward, I'm going to go ahead and pray. And I just want to, to think on that, to reflect on that, right? This life is not going to be easy. We weren't promised an easy life. If you hear the gospel that says that, that's a lie. But there is hope in him and through him, and it's our job to share that. So would you pray with me? Lord, I just thank you for this day. God, I thank you for this opportunity to, to talk a little bit about me and about what you've done in in my life, Lord, and all the, the chaos that it's been, Father. But you, you've been good through all of it. You've carried us through some terrible times. But in all, Lord, the focus is on you. And we have to remember that, God. We have to remember that in the midst of the storm, you're the one we need to lean into. You're the one that we need to call out to. And that while we're doing that, that we're pointing others to you in the process, Lord. So I pray that that would be our, our mission today as we go out from here, Lord, and as we continue to praise and worship you. I pray that our focus would always be on you and beyond on reaching those who are far from you, Lord. I just ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.